Dan. Hi, Katie. Welcome to Have You Ever Heard Of, a history podcast. Where we talk about people from history you may or may not have heard of. (laughs) How is everything going with you? Uh, I mean, not bad. (laughs) You always say not bad. (laughs) I mean, it's it's hard to be anything else, like, at the moment in COVID land. One day you're going to be like, I'm amazing. (laughs) But not today. I think my main worry about, like, COVID land is once COVID land is gone, my life is just going to continue being the same and it's not actually going to change. That's a depressing thought. That scares me. Mm. I won't, though. It will definitely be different. I I am wondering what I did with all my time before this. Yeah. Like, tomorrow I'm going into central London. I was in central London today at work, but tomorrow I'm going into central London not for work. Like going to the big water stones. Oh, I know. And I'm like, what is it going to be like? (laughs) Today I went on Central Line and it was really packed. Really? Yeah. All the COVID COVID juices. Yeah, everybody was wearing a mask. Closed metal box. But it was yeah. I was like, this is what it used to be like. Not as packed as it used to be like when you couldn't get on. But um, yeah, it was. I was standing, which was a first for my, like, trips in and out of work. So, yeah, yeah, people have given up, really, haven't they? They can't be bothered. We're suffering from COVID fatigue now. Well, today is a monumental day, because today is the first day of vaccinations. Oh, yeah. They really went all out for her. Like, we got, like, her biography. Like, we know who her, like, second cousin twice removed is. Like everything. Everything. They essentially <laughs> doxed her I don't even remember her name. <gasps> um, <laughs> no, but the either, second actually. guy, the second guy, his name was William Shakespeare. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that a... <laughs> that's good. They should have um, made him the first one. That would have been a much better selling sale. But then it's a bit much, marketing. isn't it? <laughs> it's a bit much. I guess. Yeah, yeah. that might actually uh, up the uh, anti vaxxers, mightn't it? Like, mm. they'll be like, what? William Shakespeare? He's dead. I saw <laughs> we don't them, like... believe you. <laughs> I saw like a third of people don't want to get it. Don't, don't want to get the vaccine, yeah, not COVID. I've, I've heard, yeah, <laughs> I've heard that. And it's like. It's uh, depressing, isn't what? it? But they give you a little. I, did, card. I thought everyone. To say that you've had it. Yeah, with like the date of your the first vaccine and the date of the, the second vaccine. So I'm wondering if it's like gonna become a thing where you have to like show your card to get into places. I hope but not. Maybe. But like why would they give you a card? I'm like I'm quite worried because uh I I've stood at the same I haven't been to the doctors in years. I have like I haven't been to the doctors since we moved house. So I'm still with my old doctors. And now I'm worried. I'm like, I don't know why I'm worried about this, but I'm really worried that, like, they're going to call me about, like, the vaccine. I'm going to go, and then I'm going to have to tell them that I don't live in that house anymore. I live really far away. They'll be like, well, you can't come here anymore. And I'll be like, oh, okay, then. I don't know why that's you what I'm worried about. Are that. a healthy young man in your 30s. You're not going to be getting the vaccine anytime soon. Like, it's going to be, like... Maybe I'll pay for months. it. <laughs> a million pounds. 
Um, um, yeah, I'm just well, like... I was going to make another point about it, but I can't remember what it was about, anti-fa- about anti-vaxxers, but it's gone. So they're crazy. Had a, had, a, had a thing. I had a, had a clever line, but it's gone. I've gotten it. It's annoying. I just want to say that I grew up in a house with someone with polio. And if you don't want to give your child the polio vaccine... Well, I know they don't actually do it in this country anymore because polio is eradicated. But in countries where they do, please give your child the polio vaccine. Like, it's not not good at all. It's the worst. Quite a good idea. Yeah, it's quite Uh, a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) You get a polio vaccine when you go abroad, don't you, as part of your overseas jazz? Depends where you go... Because in yeah, some countries like... it's like eradicated, like here. If you go to America, they don't give you the polio vaccine. <laughs> yeah, if you're going to uh, if you're going to the more adventurous places, I think the places worth going to. Mm, a lot of places in Africa. I'm doing. A, I don't know. I'm doing a gunpoint at the uh, at the microphone. Listeners can't see that. <laughs> you can't <Boom>. see that. Would <laughs> 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 be good if they could see us though. You know, like some podcasters now just do YouTube, like Joe Rogan. My boyfriend's always yeah. watching Joe Rogan on um He has some crazy people on though, like crazy, crazy, crazy people. Yeah. Like um, Yeah, it's Bob just Lazar. all like conspiracy theories. <laughs> he has some cool people too. Like, um I listened to the guy who's like the lawyer for Junior Assange. Which is quite Not interesting. Really. But yeah, He's when he has people like so. Bob Lazar He's the guy who like claimed he saw aliens at Area Fifty One. <laughs> You're like, okay, this is you just having fun now, Joe <laughs> But do you believe in aliens though? There must be aliens out there. Yeah, surely. there's aliens out there, but not in our solar system. I don't think. Yeah. So unfortunately, but I'm reading. Uh, just coming up to the end of uh, the three body problem, which I've been reading for a while because I kept getting interrupted with books that I needed to review for my blog. So I'm just <laughs> now focusing on finishing it, and um, it's kind of like this weird video game world in which it might really exist in some sort of alien universe. So yeah, that was quite fun. I do like to play with the idea of aliens. So, so like in the story, basically, by controlling what's going on in the game, you're controlling like another world. It's more like I think it's more like well, I've only got up to the bit where he's like, yes, it does exist. Like the guy who who created the game. Yeah. So I'm not really sure how it's going to pan out. Whether it's going to be like this possible world sort of thing. See episode. So three, where I did David Lewis. Um, and yeah, I'm not entirely sure how it's going to pan out. But I will let you know. But it's a really, really good book. And it's a trilogy, which excites me. Because I like to have... I like to finish a book and know that there's more. And be like, yeah, yeah if yeah, I want definitely. more, it's there. Kind of thing. Yeah. You want them to create like a whole world for you. Yeah, but then like you get like a bit obsessed. Because then you can't read anything else until those are finished. Also, this is another thing. I've got this beautiful cover for the first one and a beautiful matching cover for the second one exists, but I don't think the same cover exists for the third one. 
And I'm like, what are you doing? Oh, no. That's horrific. That's quite painful, actually. Spoiled all of my dreams. Yeah. You're going to have those on your shelf, and every time you look at them, you're just going to recoil a little bit. I'm just going to cry. I just won't be able to read the stab of panic in your heart. And you'll be like, oh, oh, no. Uh, Shall we start the podcast? (laughs) Yes, let's do it. Let's talk about <laughs> some history. Okay, so this week we are going to India. Oh, we've done India, have we? I don't think so. No. I was. We this were just talking a... earlier about what countries we hadn't kind of, kind of roamed, and I think India is one yeah. of them. Have you ever heard of first? You heard it here first. Does that work? Something along those lines. First, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I mean, not here. We're like, we're like, uh, 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 uh. I'm just going to start it. Okay, you just go. Have you ever, <laughs> have you ever heard of Rash Bihari Bose? No. Oh, yeah, maybe Bose rings a bell. You might get him mixed up with the other Bose who essentially <laughs> took over from him. Like, okay. Later. Okay, then maybe but not. But it's not that Bose. That's okay. uh, Super Chandra Bose. Oh, yeah, that's the one I've heard of, I think. Yeah. Rash Bihari Bose. Okay, Rash the original Bihari Bose. <laughs> the OG Bose. Uh, he, uh, he's also a revolutionary leader from India. So, I mean, like, they're both in the same vein. And they have the same name, but they're not related. They're just oh, both kind of doing the same is thing. Is it a it's common kind of Indian name? Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how common it is. It's not like Smith. I like. I always thought they were like related. I always thought that like Rash was, was like, like his, his son older or brother. Or brother. And then I found out that they just weren't related at all. Like, oh, when I was in my your dreams. Was like, your boys' dreams. This is mad. <laughs> yeah, I thought this was a whole family affair. So, yeah, that was disappointing. I died a little bit that day. Oh. Well, I'm I'm sorry about that because it seems a bit extreme. But... Okay, uh, hit, hit me up. Pl- pl- first thing, I'll plug in my mouse because uh, it's really hard to scroll without a little scrolly wheel. Okay, so Rash was born on the 25th of May, 1886, in the village of Sub. Oh God, Subodaha. There you go, um, in West Bengal. Mm. So his early education was completed under the supervision of his grandfather. So he was like homeschooled at first. Okay. Um, so along with the basics, his grandfather also recounted tales of resistance against the, against the British. Uh, I believe his grandfather was involved in those himself. So he was kind of like, he's like picking up his own stories and then like those of his mates being like, yeah. Wait, did you tell me British. the date he was born? Have I completely missed it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 25th it? of May, 1886. Oh, eighteen eighty six. Um, fine. Because I'm thinking about like the yeah, British yeah. and uh, putting it in my my virtual timeline. Not virtual. That's I'm not a computer. <laughs> in my mental history timeline. Uh, so, because of this, Bose became interested in revolutionary activities as a just a young little schoolboy. I mean, like, it's a good time to get into that sort of stuff. I was playing with Ghostbusters. I would much rather have been a revolutionary. As early as possible. Absolutely. <laughs> um, 
So apparently he had learned how to build bombs before he got to university. I mean, that's quite a skill, right? <laughs> just get that what? in Why? when you're a kid. And how does he test? Uh, do you know what? I'm just accepting it, you know. <laughs> um, so despite being more interested in revolution, he managed to earn a degree in medical science and engineering. I mean, engineering and bomb making probably goes together quite well. Quite that probably well. helped him. Probably helped him along the way. He's just like, I've already got like a quite a good basis of bomb making, so this engineering stuff should probably be a doddle. I think that's how it works, right? <laughs> um, so strangely, after this, Bose wanted to join the British Indian Army, but what? he was rejected. Oh, yeah, probably a good thing. <laughs> well, I mean, like. Seemingly, like, seeing as he'd been engaged in the like, revolutionary activities before this, it's unlikely that he turned um, on the British, like, just, like, through a feeling of, like, rejection. Um, it's probably more likely he just hoped to spread disorder through the army. Uh, yeah, maybe I was thinking loosening Britain's grip, sort of thing, yeah. Um, so following this, he, he joined the government working as head clerk at the Forest Research Institute. So that's, like, completely different path. Army tree, tree trees. Hugging. Yeah. Yeah. Much better like way. Trees. I'd much rather trees. Yeah, I like yeah. trees. <laughs> trees are good. Up with much trees, better. down with war. <laughs> uh, during this time, uh, Bose also became head of the Indian Revolutionary Underground, which is a really cool name for uh, for a group, I think. Mm. It sounds like a, like a band from the 60s. The Indian Revolutionary Underground. <laughs> um, so his first major revolutionary act uh, was the Delhi Conspiracy Case, a uh, plot hatched by Bose himself to assassinate the Viceroy of India, Lord Hardinge. So, I mean, like, he's starting off big. Like, he's not going in to, like, naff little plans. Like, he's going to the top. Um, so... Uh, he decided that the best time to do this would be during the formal transfer of the capital from Calcutta to New Delhi. Um, by the way, the Indians had no part in this decision. The British decided they were going to move the capital from Calcutta to New Delhi. Yeah, of course. So, for some nice, just, just bizarre about. reason. Yeah. Uh, so, on the 23rd of December, 1912, Bose threw a homemade bomb at the Viceroy, who was riding an elephant through the Chadney Chwak uh, suburb of Delhi as part of the ceremonial pro- procession to celebrate the move. Oh, gosh. Um, he made that bomb by himself, obviously. Obviously. I mean, like, it's a one-man operation. Was it like, like a nail really, There was other people involved, but Ooh. I don't know, really. Um, yeah, some sort of, not like a, it wouldn't have been super powerful, would it, if he made it himself? Yeah, it's probably, I mean, like, also it's, yeah, the material was probably... Well, it, like, I don't think there was, like, tin cans and stuff then. Maybe there was. I don't really know. When did canned food come about? I do think there was tin cans, yeah. I think tin cans okay. were, like, Victorian, but I don't know whether they would have been in India. Yeah. Well, I'm not but, sure how I made it. I could be wrong. Someone but, let us know when the tin can was invented, please. <laughs> it doesn't seem like it was a particularly good one, though, because the voice Roy escaped with only, uh, as was quoted in what I read, flesh wounds. I love that term. Just a flesh wound. Just a minor flesh wound. wound. Is like it can it range. It can really, yeah, really I know. range. 
um, I mean, from like, like a, sm- a, a paper cut to like a massive gash. They're both flesh wounds. Yeah, like flesh kind of like suggests the thing that's under. Like it's just a small one, be like a skin wound, surely, like a little, like a little cut. Flesh is like that sounds deep to me. Yeah, one anyway. of my favorite words in German actually is the word for meat, which is Fleisch. Oh yeah, because it's like it's just flesh. Just flesh, and it's like that is what it is. You are eating. Yeah. Fle- flesh is just lost all meaning. Flesh. We need anyway. to bring back the proper meaning of flesh. Flesh. Um, so apparently, he was injured all over his back, legs, and heads by fragments of the bomb, and the flesh again, but on his shoulders, being torn in strips. That's pretty grim. Oh, that is grim. Sounds like a um, weird sort of jacket. Sort yeah, like... exactly. Yeah, yeah. Just like all like that. Just but that's his back. <laughs> uh, he was also traveling with his wife, Lady Hardinge, uh, who was just uninjured. So I mean, oh, r- bit of a rubbish Phew. bomb, really. Just nothing. The only casualty was Hardinge's Indian servant, who had been holding his parasol. So I mean, overall, a pretty big failure of a plan. Overall, that didn't go to plan. No. Did he not I mean, think like, of that? That's, that's like the last person, surely, he wanted to kill, and that was the only one he killed, so... Shit. Uh, so anyway, following this, the British clamped down on the resistance groups, vowing to crush them. <laughs> I think those, that's... I'm, uh, I think I'm quoting verbatim there. Um, <laughs> after the blast, Bose went back to his government job at the Forest Research Institute... And even organised an honorary reception for Hardinge a few months later to so say he wasn't, well done for surviving that. So he wasn't caught? Uh, not yet. Okay. But that's kind of like, that's pretty bold. Like, yeah. blowing him up and then welcoming him back and being like, oh, like well done. Well like, done. I hope you were going to be like, he was the guy that did it. Anyway, um, however, the fingers began to be pointed at Baez and murmurs emerged about his role and... Uh, yeah, I mean, like, the go- a government office is probably not the best place for a revolutionary to hide, really. No. Hiding or in plain sight, it- but... Mm. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, hiding in plain sight. But I think he's probably, like, probably, like, mouthing off quite a lot. Like, uh, I-, I bet, like, a quite a lot of his... Uh, quite a few of his colleagues were pro- very pro-British, and he was probably just, like... Yeah, just constantly bad-mouthing the British, so it probably got back to them in the end. Hmm... So following this, uh, there ensued a three-year cat-and-mouse chase through the north of India. Uh, it became so close that at one point it's reported that he travelled in a train and sat right opposite the chief police commissioner and managed to go undetected for the entire journey. Oh, wow. He's just rubbing in their faces now, isn't he? <laughs> I mean, that's bold. Got to give it to him. I love it. Um, so although Rash was never caught, his co-conspirators were... On the 5th of October 1914, uh, Lala Hanumant Sahi was sentenced to life imprisonment uh, in the Andaman Islands. So this that was an island where they just basically sent all kind of like threats to the British rule. Mm. Uh, while Basant Kumar Biswas and Bai um, Bamakund and Amir Chand and... I'm just saying and a lot. Ad, uh, Avad... Bahari were all ac- executed for their roles in the conspiracy. So, wow, just killing, yeah, just killed. I can't That's remember how they were. I think they might have been Hans, but um, 
That but is... This pops up quite a lot. The British are pretty... Yeah, the British I mean, like... preferred method of execution at this time was yeah. hanging. So probably hanging. And like, uh, I know there's a kind of like a lot of back and forth going on about like the British Empire and how it's uh, kind of like uh, treated like uh, its colonies. Uh, British executed a lot of people who, <laughs> who uh, a lot of revolutionaries, a lot of people that were against like British rule. I mean, uh, yeah, the British rule wasn't in some way kind of like like benign compared to others. They they did a lot of the same stuff that everyone else did. Anyway, we'll carry on. There's there's some other examples of this. <laughs> <laughs> um, Russia's next big big uh, activity was the Gadar mutiny. So this is quite a massive one, actually. This was a plan to initiate a pan-Indian mutiny in the British Indian Army uh, in February 1915, so during the world, First World War, um, with the aim of just, like, ending the British Raj in, like, one fell swoop. So the plot had originated at the start of the First World War uh, as a joint venture between the Gadar Party in the United States, the Berlin Committee in Germany, and the Indian Revolutionary Underground, of which Bose was a leader, uh, in British India. And also the uh, German Foreign Office through the consulate in San Francisco. So the Gadar Party was kind of mainly based in San Francisco, so that's why San Francisco okay. happens into it. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, so it's called the Gadar Plot. So it basically is named after that party. Um, ba, ba, ba. So, all right, so during World War One, the British Indian Army contributed significantly to the British war effort. Um, yes, as is. such, only a very reduced force, estimated to be as low as 15,000 troops in late 1914, remained stationed in India. So it was a perfect opportunity to overthrow the British colonial regime. So the mutiny was planned to start in the key state of Punjab, following but followed by mutinies in Bengal and the rest of India. Uh, Indian units as far as Singapore were planned to participate in the rebellion. Um, so the plot was kicked off when Ghadar revolutionary literature was distributed among Indian soldiers, uh, Indian soldiers through clandestine sources to kind of like test the water to see if they kind of like felt about it and what they kind of like got back was. It was all on. It was good to go. Um, so <laughs> by October no, October 1914, a large number of Gadarites had returned to India and were signed to tasks like contacting Indian revolutionaries and organisations in India and spreading propaganda and literature, as well as arranging to get arms into the country. So these weapons were purchased in the United States. These were then shipped to the Gadarites who had stopped in Canton in China, where uh, other exiled revolutionaries had gathered. So finally, this, once they got their weapons into Canton, the Gadarites boarded an imperial Japanese navy ship bound for India and uh, took that stuff in. I mean, I've read some uh, British intelligence about this and they were, like, pretty angry about that. So, yeah, it was the, Jap- like, the Japanese helps get those weapons in. There's kind of a, a lot of British intelligence about the Japanese helping Indians get weapons into India, which is quite interesting. Um... So you remember the Japan was formerly allied with Britain as part of the Anglo-Japanese alliance's point and was also an allied partner during World War One. So this was kind of like very much like a little clandestine kind of like activity like against an ally, which is kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, pan-Asianism kind of like ran high in Japan at this time, though not in government. It was kind of like 
in the fringes. So like this would probably just been like a very pro Indian kind of like Japanese naval officer who's just like just gonna I'm gonna take my ship and help these guys out. So when the Kadaras got into India, they rapidly established contact with the Indian Revolutionary Underground under Bose. So then Bose set about collecting disaffected Indian soldiers, distributing further literature to get others involved. And of course, he handed out his homemade bombs. Every went, just throwing them out like sweets. A bomb for you, and a bomb for <laughs> you, and a bomb for you. Uh, however, in the end, the plans were thwarted through a coordinated intelligence and police response. British intelligence managed to infiltrate the Gadarite movement in Canada and in India. It actually did come down to the wire, like a last minute piece of intelligence uh, from a spy helping uh, the British was able to kind of like put the kibosh on the whole plan. Um, So Punjab CID successfully infiltrated a guy called Kirpal Singh into the Indian Revolutionary Underground. So he was a soldier who pretended to be disaffected. He visited Rash Bihari's um, Lohor headquarters near the Mochi Gate, where uh, over a dozen of the of the various leaders um, had all met on the 15th of February 1915. After this, he went and informed, basically, on, on them uh, to the police. Um, the police? Like, just the bobbies down the road? Yeah, like the colonial police, which I think they're, probably, they're a bit more hardcore. They're a bit more harsh. A bit guys. more. <laughs> um, so, but at this point, <clears throat> the Revolution had already become kind of a bit suspicious of, K- of Kapow. So, sensing their plans have been compromised, they brought uh, D Day for the uprising forward um, to the 19th of February. I, th- I can't remember when it was originally meant to be like, set up. I think it was like a, a month after or something like that. But even these plans managed to find their way to the Punjab CID. There were still a few units that did uh, rise up. On the 15th of February, the 5th Light Infantry stationed at Singapore um, rose up and rebelled. About half of the 850 troops that comprised the regiment mutinied on the afternoon, along with nearly 100 men of the Malay State's Guides. Um, this mutiny lasted for almost seven days and resulted in the death of 47 British soldiers and local civilians. The mutiny was only put down after uh, the French, uh, the Russians and the Japanese um, arrived with reinforcements. It's kind of interesting, again, like the uneven kind of like Japanese commitment to Pan-Asianism. They'd helped get these like revolutionaries into India and helped like arm them. But at the same time, they helped put down the the mutiny in yeah maybe they saw it as like a different i mean because it's like south yeah exactly southeast it would have been like (laughs) it would have been different groups like the government would have helped the british because the british asked them to and they were formally allied but then there would have been like individuals in like the army or the navy that would have wanted to help the the revolutionary so it's a bit all over the place really yeah like most (laughs) of japan's history (laughs) um so, following this, key figures were arrested. Um, the conspiracy was followed by the first Lohor conspiracy trial at the uh, Benares cons- and other oh, and the Benares conspiracy trial, which saw the death sentences awarded to a number of Indian revolutionaries and the exile of another uh, of a number of others. 
Um, this kind of like had quite far-reaching consequences. After the end of the war, uh, fear of a second Gardarite uh, uprising led to the recommendations of the Rowlet Acts. Um, so the Rowlet Acts were kind of like directly responsible for the Amritsar massacre, which has come up quite a lot in the news recently. So basically, the the, the Rowler Act uh, indefinitely extended the emergency measures of preventative uh, and indefinite detention and incarceration without trial and judicial review that had been enacted uh, in the Defence of India Acts 1915 during the First World War. So, like, yeah, the acts to kind of, like, prevent mutiny and kind of, like, uh, that would impose just very kind of, like, harsh, like, punitive measures on anyone that did try and rebel against British uh, rule. So that was basically just extended forever. Forever? Hello, ever. So, yeah, basically, India became a police state run by the British. Great. More so than it was before. Lovely. Amazing. Um, <laughs> so, following the plot, nearly 200 were tried at Singapore as well. 47 of these were put up against a wall on Outram Road in Singapore and executed in front I- of. Everyone. Guess that's by gun. Yeah, if it was I mean, against like, the wall. That's the sort of, sort of thing the Germans did. Yeah. Um, so that should be uh, remembered, really. Um, most of the rest were deported or given uh, jail terms ranging from between seven and 20 years. So, Bose, one to him. What did happen to him? <laughs> Seems well, like he, he should wasn't... get a pretty harsh punishment. <laughs> well, he was not one of those who was captured. He got away. Instead, he fled to Japan aboard a Japanese ship in ninety around the end of 1915. As I said, even though Japan was a British ally between 1902 and 1923, it had kept its doors open consistently to revolutionaries who wanted to end British rule in India. Bryn knew this, which is what makes the alliance so strange. Um, I mean, like one of the reasons for the Anglo-Japanese alliance was to protect India, mainly from Russia, yet Japan was keen to see India free for a number of reasons. Uh, it was like kind of like cultural reasons, like um, like kind of like India saw like, uh, Japan saw like a lot of his cultures coming from India, like Buddhism came from India. So there's kind of like quite a few like cultural ties, economic uh, Japan like needed like a market to sell its like goods in, and Britain basically like had at points like closed the uh, Asian markets. Japan, um, so yeah, and certain Asians just wanted to rectify what they saw as an unjust international system. Um, so in Japan, Bose managed to lay low. Uh, the British were desperate to get him back, um, <laughs> and he would no doubt have been like one of those against the wall had they managed to do that. Um, the Japanese government officially had to disavow those, but in reality, they made it as difficult as possible for the British to extradite him. Um, Realising they couldn't rely on the Japanese police, the Brits hired a Japanese private detective agency to capture them. Oh my um, gosh. Uh, to capture him for them, yeah. That's a film I, I want to see. I know, yeah, that should be, that would be amazing. Um, but despite having a price on his head, um, Bose managed to escape their capture and still plotted he did he not loved the plot fucks. he just loved it it's <laughs> his life's passion his plan was to go to shanghai and gather more weapons to send back to revolutionaries in india um but in the meantime 
head in the house in Tokyo's Azabu district. Um, there he discreetly met with Sun Yat-sen, the head of the Revolutionary Army of China. And Sun then in turn introduced Bose to Mitsuru Toyama, uh, an influential figure among Japanese political circles and the leader of the Pan-Asianist group the Black Dragon Society, which is an oh, unbelievably cool name. That's so cool. But the thing is, like, I don't know why it was called that, because I think, like, the Japanese actually translates into, like, the Amar River Society, or, like, something along those lines. It's, like, a really strange oh. translation that's coming from. But it sounds much cooler, so... Yeah, it's, like, it does sound cooler. <laughs> Genyosha, like, like, Genyosha. Anyway, so just carry on with the Black Dragon Society, because it just sounds better. Um... Following this, Bose moved to the Naka, Nakamura Salon, uh, which, as it's known among, as it was known among Tokyo locals and intelligentsia. So this was just basically like a bakery and cafe lo- uh, located in the Shinjuku district of Tokyo. So it's like another hotbed of like Pan-Asianist activity. Um, so the owners were Azayo and. Aizo, sorry, Aizo and Kokusoma, who were both Christian Japanese, so kind of like, uh, I kind of like had quite a bit of feelings with like Western culture. However, they kind of like still had like hosted these kind of like anti like Western colonialist kind of like meetings and stuff. Um, they had like a deep interest in the arts, literature, and other cultures. Um, so yeah, just very much kind of like bohemian, especially by like Japanese standards. Um, so Toyama convinced them to shelter Bose from the British authorities in a small guest house in their backyard. Uh, he stayed there for four months initially and then subsequent, in subsequent years moved to multiple uh, different locations to avoid detection, but kind of like kept going back there um, every so often. Uh, in 1918, to protect him from capture, Toyama encouraged Bose to marry Summer's eldest daughter, uh, Toshiko, which would allow him to remain legally in Japan. Ah. I mean, it's kind of like somewhat tragic in a way. I mean, like apparently when first asked, Toshiko cried. Um, oh, I mean, like I'm not sure if she had like, uh, like if she was like already in love with someone else, um, or like for another reason. Um, I mean, in like the movie, she would be. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, like. I mean, in the end, she like took about three weeks to decide, but then she did um, agree. I mean, like despite the, the rocky start, it is said that they had like a happy marriage, um, but this would only last for eight years. Um, yeah, oh, no. in that did time, Bayes managed to. Did she die? I mean, yeah, it was uh, it was the, the early twenties. It's not a good time. Uh. I mean, like at the time, in that short time together. Bose managed to teach uh, Shiko Bengali, and they had two children as well. Um, but she died from pneumonia in 1925 at the uh, age of 27. Oh my god, baby! Yeah, really nasty. Oh. Um. So Bose was pretty distraught over this, and he kind of just like threw himself into work, basically like independence movement work. Um, <laughs> when you say work, brief. what you mean um, is revolution. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so eager to build cultural ties between Japan and India, he established and ran numerous associations, such as the Indo-Japanese Friends Society, and a hostel called the called Villa Asians. So this pops up a lot in British intelligence. It was a 
it's meant to be kind of like a a hostel for Asian students staying in studying in Japan. Uh, however, like it had links to Okawa Shime, who said to have had uh, who's basically like one of the head kind of like panage just like propagandists for Japan. And it said, or oh, it was believed by the British anyway, that it was used to train um, Asian spies for use against uh, the British and her allies. Fearful of his influence on a younger generation of Indians, the colonial British government made it very difficult for Indian students to travel to Japan. Um, so while there, he published widely on Jap- in India's past and promoted ties between India and Japan and because of that, there would be a very strong, very strong pro-India lobby uh, in the Japanese diet when war came in um, in 1941. Um, another really cool thing is he also uh, introduced what is now known in Japan Akamuraya curry, uh, which is Ooh. sold out of uh, out of um, which was sold out of the bakery where he was staying at the time, um, which has become really popular in Japan now. It's also basically like the filling that you get in like Japanese curry buns. Which are like massively popular in Japan and very tasty. That is interesting. Um, uh, He also featured regularly in Japanese newspapers, writing articles or giving interviews, um, and featured as a prominent part of Japanese Pan Asianist propaganda in the lead up to war. Uh, When both came to Japan, only educated Japanese knew about India. which back then was known as Tenjiko, which meant land of heavens, because that's where, like, the religion came from. It's kind of cool. It's a cool name for a place. Very cool. Um, and as as such, the people of Japan dubbed Bose Tenrai, which means uh, heavenly being, which is also a really cool name. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Lots of cool names in this I, I think, basically, I... I think like like the change in Japan's like knowledge of like India like that all kind of like changed with like Bose's like rise to prominence in Japan. Um, I mean like certainly by the end of the war, like knowledge of like the the plight of Asians was kind of like quite widespread. But I mean like all the destruction that Japan caused. I mean like when um, the war ended, there was a massive um, like protest in Tokyo, even though they'd be just defeated and had a nuclear bomb dropped on them about like. Um, the war in Indonesia and like the revolution there, like kind of like, av- like calling for independence there, which I thought was really interesting. <laughs> Didn't know about that. That's something else I found in the archives. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, so um, in 1931, Bose organized the first Indian Independence League in Japan, which aims to attain the independence of India by all possible means. Uh, two uh, years later, uh, Bose received funding to publish um, funding from the Japanese government a journal called The New Asia which was distributed in English and Japanese filled with lovely anti-British and pro-Asian pan-Asianist propaganda uh, the Britain fleared his influence enough to ban the publication in India I need to get hold of some of those magazines because I haven't seen them and I think that would be really good for my research research Since, uh, I'm, I'm my plan is to actually just focus on the on propaganda now, so I need to read all this good stuff. All the propaganda. <laughs> just try not to get sucked in. Um, in 1938, Bose published Indo no Sakebi, um, which it translates into India's Cry, uh, which again strongly denounced British rule in India. So he is very much just aiming for the British 
He's just going for it. Yeah, for as much agitation as possible. Yeah. Um, To cover themselves, British authorities classified him as a Japanese agent intent on spreading terrorist propaganda rather than like the nationalists kind of seeking Indian independence because that's much easier to counter. Yeah. Um, So what was happening around this time? So it's around 1938. Um... So Japan had basically invaded China by this point, and Bose was pretty uncomfortable with what was going down. Um, so he kind of like felt quite conflicted, I think, as anyone does who studies this, between what Japan was saying and it wanted to achieve for Asia and the reality of what it was doing. Um, however, his friendship with the Japanese and citizenship of the country made it impossible for him to dissent. This... Plus British propaganda efforts meant it wasn't long before other Indians began to see him as a Japanese puppet and a collaborator as opposed to a true Indian nationalist. Um, regardless of others, how others viewed him, though, Bose was pretty convinced that the Japanese military could you use to liberate India and then he could kind of like take over from like after that and be able to uh, carve out like his like. Uh, I guess a separate future for for India. Uh, so he kept up his efforts to mobilize supporters in Japan and across Southeast Asia as well. So it was kind of like a very much like an inter like international effort as opposed to just one that was like concentrated in Japan. So he kind of like got his first taste of like what could be kind of like called as like power in February. 1942. So then the British surrendered Singapore and British Empire forces numbering more than 120,000 in Malaya and Singapore had surrendered to the Japanese, many of them Indian. The Japanese instantly went about recruiting these prisoners into a new anti-British pro-Japanese force and they were initially very successful recruiting around 50,000. It was Planned that the army would be subordinated to the Indians independently Independence League under um, Rash. However, um, many soldiers still saw Rash Bihari as more a Japanese collaborator than an Indian nationalist. So this kind of like kind of create like cause tensions between Bose and the leader, who's the leader of the civilian movement, and the military leader. Um, Mohan Singh, who had been recruited by the Brit uh, by the Japanese intelligence um, during the Malayan campaign, so he was very kind of like new to this, like Mohan, but he kind of like got very, he kind of got swept up in in it quite like quite deep, but but he was very much like a a genuine like nationalist. So he wanted an India like free from like Japanese and British influence and he's, his plan was basically just to like build up an army big enough that only the Indian soldiers would invade India and not the Japanese at all mm. so it was kind of like quite a like, quite like conflict there um, but things came to a head and in the end like Mohan Singh was arrested um, but to ensure that the army didn't collapse leadership of the army and the movement was handed to Subhas Chandra Bose I mean, I'm going to probably no jump into him, so I don't really go into... Yeah, no relation. Um, I don't really want to go into Subhas' story, but he had kind of, like, been in Germany for a while. He'd, like, married a German, and um, Ooh, he'd kind of, like, started, like, uh, built, like, kind of, like, a an Indian army for, like, the Germans. Yeah. And then he kind of, like... Then he was transferred to Japan by submarine, and then he became, like, the army... He was uh, way more successful than Rash Bihari Bose, it must be said, like to like build up this army. 
Um, but yeah, I'll talk to I'll talk about him in a in a in a later episode. So basically, the army in the league was handed over to Russia to Subhas Chandra Bose and combined under his leadership as Azad Hind, as opposed to like the Independence League. Um. So, as his light started to fade, so did Rash's health. He'd long oh. suffered from TB and the illness. Oh, no. Um, yeah. So, like, uh, I'm not sure if that's what his wife had as well. Like, I know she died of pneumonia, but I'm not sure if it was It might be complications. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, Bose died of... Bahari Bose died of complications with the illness in 1945, shortly before the war ended. Oh, no. Despite all the groundwork he'd laid... No, never, never did leave to live to see India free of his son's death on the front line against American forces in 1945 oh, in Okinawa. Sweetie, oh my god! So yeah, that See, is Rash Bahari Bose. If he just waited Bose. like a little bit, like if he had just been alive for like a little bit longer, yeah, he needed like two more years after yeah. the war, and he would have sent India. Jeez, independent. But yeah, I mean, like, but he did quite a lot. I mean, like, he did quite a lot of work at the beginning. He was just a little bit in the middle. <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, like, the whole the whole like uh, Second World War decolonization process is a really complicated one. Yeah. Um, so I mean, like, I mean, like, I won't give any opinions on it because it's very complicated. My research. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear. Yeah, no, it is complicated, but it, is, it was so important for the decolonization process, wasn't it? So. Yeah. Most definitely. But yeah. That was. But yeah, I thought I'd do him exciting. first before I did Chandra. Because Chandra's going to be a long one. I might have to split him into two. <laughs> but, but that's his predecessor. Yeah, there are some The guy I that... always thought was his older brother, but he's not. <laughs> there are some people that I was. I, think about doing and then I think god this would be long like yeah. I haven't done any Nazis yet um, no you haven't I'm no. surprised you did uh, Eva Braun can we count her as a Nazi I guess so yeah I mean she was never a member of the party I don't think or maybe she was okay. no, I think she was but um, yeah I guess I haven't done a like yeah I, I probably I should she's not like a a high-ranking, like... It's official. hard to do people that are not sympathetic, though, because... Yeah. Um, You're, like, just saying all these horrible things, and you're like, oh... But I could I do... I you could do... What's his name? Um, Rudolf Hess, because he was pathetic. <laughs> he was pathetic. They're all pretty pathetic, right? <laughs> They're all pathetic. <laughs> um, <laughs> can you imagine? It was just like, you are pathetic. And then just start crying. Um, <laughs> I'll do the subject of my dissertation soon, which I haven't done yet. He's not a Nazi. He is an Auschwitz doctor. So that will be interesting. Um, uh, have you started buying your Christmas presents yet? I haven't, actually. Um, it's eight. Charlotte gets, sent, me a, sent me a link to something that she wanted, and I've just looked at it and it's sold out. But luckily, it's uh, at the shop down, the, like, down in... Down the road, so I'm going to have to go out to the outside world and hunt it down. The outside world. I love the way she just sent you uh, something and you're just going to 
just gonna buy that. I'm I know. Not, not bother. We're not, we're not very good at it now. That's this what is happens now. what happens when go, you've been together that. over ten years. Yeah. Just send the link. Buy it. Oh my yeah. god! I sent Matt a link to the best thing ever. I don't think he's gonna get it for me for Christmas. If he did, I would actually just marry him. It's this. <laughs> uh, it's this necklace. I'm gonna show you down a picture, everyone. You know the cousins wore. As in, uh, like, Richard the Second. Oh, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so it's this necklace on Etsy that's like a Cousins War necklace. Oh, nice. <laughs> Let me just get it up. That is pretty cool. Um, I just got, like, a picture of Richard the Second. Do you see it? <laughs> that's amazing everyone's just gonna have to imagine <laughs> it really picture cool. of like richard th- oh no richard the third sorry richard third with like a crown and then the two emblems of the cousins war and he was like would you actually wear this i was like of course i would wear <laughs> it with. like i would wear it every single day and people would look at me like she knows about history <laughs> It would be so glorious. <laughs> Maybe I should do Richard the Third. People would bow down to you wherever you went. I'd be like, yeah, definitely look, do Richard look the Third. At this bitch wearing this fucking necklace. <laughs> I'll be so good. Like, you put it up on Instagram for the. For I the cannot listeners. believe that they. That that exists, but anyway, I need it in my life. <laughs> I, maybe I'll just buy it for myself. Screw waiting for him to buy it. <laughs> um, yeah, I've started buying Christmas presents. I. The reason that I've started buying them is because they are basically all books. So I just like did one massive book haul. Nice. Yeah. Um. And bought like just... loads of cool stuff. I want to tell you a fact actually. My mum wanted a, um, a copy of Pandora's Jar. And um, yeah. the reason that it's called Pandora's Jar, did you know the Pandora never had a box? So when Erasmus what? like translated the Greek myths. Yeah. He mistranslated the word jar to box. So Pandora never ever even had a box. <laughs> it was always oh, a man. jar. <laughs> just like Yeah. Centuries of human language just I know, what the hell? <laughs> um you should all go listen also, to it's just the... this whole thing doesn't really work. Yeah. And she it's didn't like even a, open a, the jar. See-through really. jar with all the Oh man! She never really even opened the jar. Sometimes it was like her anyway. husband opened it. Sometimes it was never opened. It was just—it's just mistranslation, anyway. Oh yeah, I and and misogyny, obviously. Um, but you should all go to history <laughs> yeah. es- history extra podcast with Natalie Haynes on, and she explains this all a lot better than I do. So you can head over there. Okay. She's very funny and um, informative. So just like we try Making and be. Um. <laughs> try our very best try our very best uh, and while you're listening to History Extra Podcast you could also subscribe to us wherever you're listening to this right now do it right now and follow us on social media uh, Twitter and Instagram where I'm sure you'll be able to see the necklace at some point we'll put that on Instagram <laughs> the right? necklace yeah. I'm definitely going to buy you ever put. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I have you ever heard. Absolutely. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.